Good evening and welcome to our evening service. Some folks on Zoom as well joining us. Just a blessed day the Lord has given us and we are able to gather together to worship Him. I'm going to ask Floyd to come now for the scripture reading and to lead us in prayer. Floyd was in uh, Elliot Lake this morning and administered the word there. Uh, he's with us this evening. He had quite a challenging week. Our <laughs> brother did. So if he comes. <clears throat> thanks to Thank Lord you, Ralph. Tonight. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Our scripture reading tonight is from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And the reason we're reading this is because the message is going to be focusing on a couple of, uh, or more, governing authorities from the book of Acts. And this is talking to us, just getting our minds in view of, of what God thinks about uh, governing authorities and the attitudes that we are to have toward them. So Romans 13, starting at verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. We thank the Lord for his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence with praise toward you. We praise you for your gracious gift of salvation through Christ. We praise you that because we have received that gift of salvation, that your grace gives us joy each day as we live for you. No matter what our circumstances of life may be within our hearts, you have placed your joy and peace, and we thank you for that. You are a very wonderful God. You are kind to each one of your children and to those who are not yet your children, even those who are rebellious against you. You still find ways to show your kindness toward them in the sun and the rain, blessing them in hopes that they would recognize that you are where those blessings come from. And we're thankful for your care 
for your forgiveness of our sins through Christ, for the strength that you give us each day, for courage to face whatever it may be that we have to face in life. Lord, we thank you for your blessings and your Spirit's presence with us. And as we continue through this summer, there are blessings that you are are giving to us and opportunities often mixed with challenges. And so, Lord, help us to um, take advantage of these things or to receive them from you and to glorify you through the experiences of our lives. And uh, one blessing that we have here in Sudbury is the blessing of the Pregnancy Care Center and Infant Food Bank. And it was a joy to be at the mortgage burning for that ministry uh, just a week ago Saturday. And so, Lord, we pray your blessing upon that ministry and all those who, who work there and also the people who come to receive that ministry. And Lord, you have ministries for each of us who are your followers. You want to lead us in how we can individually serve you. Uh, As I said, as individuals, but also as a group with others. Lord, you will bring across our path, we trust, people who are seeking the truth. And help us to be ready to speak a word for you to answer a question, to give an encouraging word, or direct people who are seeking you to uh, a Bible or a resource that can help understand the Bible or or just to uh, study your word with them. And so, Lord, we pray that there will be opportunities for each of us to have that kind of ministry. And before there can be Seekers for the truth, there have to be people whom your spirit works in their hearts to convict them of sin and put that inner hunger to, to um, need to find an answer to the emptiness that is there and, and their need to be forgiven. And so, Lord, please uh, give the unsaved an opportunity to meet you and for us to be ready as perhaps one of the links in the chain that helps those people uh, hear the truth and respond to the truth of the gospel. And so thank you, Lord, for being with us, being with our, our nation and community and all the struggles that there are and all the, the needs, physical and spiritual, and help us to find that you are our Prince of Peace, the one who has has given us peace with you and you are the answer for peace between uh, people who are in conflict with each other. And so, Lord, help us to appreciate you and all that you have done for us in Christ and what you want to do in the lives of others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Again, we welcome Floyd this evening. The Lord bless as you open the word to Thank you. Well, let us pray. Lord, as we open your word tonight, 
Help us to understand what you want to say to us audibly, but especially by your Spirit. And so, Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity and joy. In Jesus' name, amen. When interruptions and setbacks happen to us, we sometimes moan about how they are preventing us from doing the things that we plan to do. Have any of you ever done that? (laughs) The truth is, though, that God often transforms these troubles into opportunities to share the good news about Jesus Christ with others. We will see this plan of God illustrated in the experiences of Paul, the apostle, and missionary. So far in the book of Acts, Paul has completed three missionary journeys and gone to Jerusalem. And while Paul was at Jerusalem, the enemies of the gospel falsely accused him of bringing a Gentile into the temple, and they used this lie as an excuse to try to kill him. Their assassination attempts failed when the Romans took Paul into custody and brought him to Caesarea, the port on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea that served as headquarters for the Roman occupation of Judea. The Roman governor, Felix, gave Paul a hearing, but he postponed making a decision on his case. Felix was hoping for a bribe that would make it profitable for him to let Paul go. And since no one paid the bribe, Paul was still in prison, when the newly appointed governor, Festus, arrived. And that brings us to the end of Acts chapter 24. As Acts 25 opens, Governor Festus, the new governor, travels inland to the big city, Jerusalem. Now when Festus had come to the province, after three days he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. And they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in wait in ambush along the road to kill him. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore, he said, let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there is any fault in him. Now, Paul's opponents have not forgiven Paul for no longer being willing to do their dirty work as he used to do, to persecute the Christians. And worse, Paul had now become a follower of Jesus and was on a mission to make other people into Christians. Now, that is talking about going to the other side, right? So they were really upset at Paul. It was like a personal vendetta against him. The Jews were so determined to get rid of Paul that they agreed with the new governor to send their representatives back to Caesarea with him to make these charges against Paul. So Acts 25, verses 6 through 8. And when he had remained among them more than 10 days, this is uh, Governor Festus, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, 
neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. So the result of this hearing, this court case, you might say, was exactly the same as the previous time under the other governor, Felix. The Jews made all kinds of accusations against Paul and had no proof of it. And Paul said, I haven't done anything wrong. So it's exactly what had happened before. At this point, Governor Festus should have scolded Paul's accusers for wasting his time with this case that was meaningless and released Paul. But he didn't. And the reason given is in Acts 25, verse 9. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Uh, <laughs> is Paul going to agree to this and go up again and face the same risk of assassination that he had previously faced at Jerusalem two years earlier? To eliminate the possibility that Festus might send him to Jerusalem against his will, Paul made an unexpected appeal. And this is it, an appeal to an authority a higher authority, Acts 25, verses 10 through 12. So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done no wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. Now Paul was taking a big, big risk here. You know, it was a risk if he went back to Jerusalem, but he thought the lesser risk was for him to appeal to the emperor at Rome, who at this time was Nero. Okay? So... In his mind, it was a less risk, but it was still mighty risky. For Nero Caesar Augustus, that's his full title, he could decide to order Paul's execution after hearing all about his case, or maybe very little about the case and still say off of his head. Yet, Paul figured it was better to go to Rome than to go back to Jerusalem. Now, some of you may in your life have had a dispute with somebody else about issues of life. And sometimes our issues aren't about our faith, where people are accusing us of things to do with our faith. The, uh, the uh, disputes that we're apt to ask or have with people are about the practical issues of life, of our property, or of some possession that we have. Just ask the children if there's ever a dispute about possessions. But with adults, it's disputes about our property and where the dog of the neighbor can do his business. You know, I mean, like I'm talking things. These are serious matters if you were involved. Haven't you ever had these things happen? <laughs> anyway, in some cases, it's necessary to have a public official apply the law to our particular situation and dispute. And usually, though, 
we don't have to go that far. We can have a respectful conversation with our neighbor and we can come to an agreement about the fence or whatever, okay? Uh, but sometimes we have to take it to a public official and trust that the public official will do the right thing even if it doesn't always work out exactly, ideally, as we may have hoped. Years ago, when Helen and I and our family, which was smaller then, <laughs> lived in Oshawa, one day I was going to a, a pastoral visit. And it was to somebody, I hadn't been to this person before. I hadn't found the place. Okay, this is probably a new, new family in the church or something. Anyway, I was going up the street and I realized I had turned the wrong way up the street and I had to go the other way. Have you ever had that happen? And I decided, there's a wide driveway. I'll just pull into that driveway back around and go back the opposite way. I pull into the driveway and before I could get my car in reverse, the person in the driveway backed up and smashed into me. Now, my car, his car, wasn't hurt seriously, but there was some damage done. Uh, I wasn't hurt in my body, and, and the driver of that other car wasn't hurt. And so, when we notified our insurance company that we had had this little uh, uh, escapade in, in this person's driveway, which I had no idea, who, you know, I just picked a driveway and went in, okay? Uh, our insurance company said, we need to take this to court and have the court decide which insurance company should pay what, okay? So I had to go to court about this. I had to testify, and so did the other guy. I had to testify, like, how wide is his driveway? Where was I in the driveway? You know what I mean? How far had I gone in? And what, you know, all those things, right? So we, we went through the whole case, and the judge made the decision and said, the other guy's insurance company has to pay 60% of the damages and Floyd's insurance company has to pay 40%. It didn't matter to me because I wasn't paying anything and it was the insurance company. But anyway, that's, that experience helped me to see, okay, this is what the courts are, are for, I guess, in some cases, to make decisions between people and help things to, to be decided that I have to live with with that, my insurance company has to live with whatever the judgment is and the other guys does, and, and that's how it is. And it increased my respect for the law and, and public officials, and I hope that you have had experiences like that. In fact, this experience helped me for later when we were in uh, London. I'll just tell you this, that our church helped refugee families. And one time, one of the people in the refugee family had a false accusation brought against him by, by somebody in the apartment building that he was in, and it got taken to court. And, and here I'm helping, I'm with the person in court, like with the lawyers first, and then in the court as the case goes on and the person doesn't really understand English and has an interpreter and all that. But it helps me, okay, I can trust that the judge is going to listen to all this and make a decision. And he did. And the person was uh, acquitted, you know, like it was discovered that it was false, the accusation. And so I was happy that, that I had some confidence in the, the justice system, and I hope you can too. Okay, that, but that's, these are part of the governing authorities, our system of justice. Well, these Roman occupiers of Palestine had various local rulers who served under them. 
And one of those local rulers was King Agrippa. See, he had the title of the king, he's King Agrippa, but he's actually serving under the Roman occupation and just managing a certain area. So Acts 25, 13 through 21. And after some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. When they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, There is a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, It is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together, without any delay, the next day I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who had died whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged concerning these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Festus gave this explanation of Paul's case and all that was involved in it, and it was reasonably accurate. But the thing that it did was it triggered King Agrippa's interest in Paul in learning about this case more. And so he, he does have this chance. In Acts 25, 22 through 27, then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city, at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. And Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, I decided to send him. Now, I have nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you, and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. King Agrippa's sister Bernice was present at this occasion. I don't know why he said, I'm speaking to you men. <laughs> there's, a, there's a woman there, at least one, maybe more. Uh, Bernice doesn't say anything according to what Luke reports in this. But anyway, Governor Festus explained all that he hoped to gain. You know, I want to have something. If I'm going to send this guy to the 
guy up there in Rome. I, I need to have something to say. And so maybe you can help me with this little, little talk you have here so I know what to write. So Acts 26, verse 1. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. Now, as Paul begins, I hope you'll notice the respectful words he gave to King Agrippa. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. And then Paul launches into his testimony. He begins with his religious background, verses 4 through 7. My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me from the first, if they were willing to testify, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes earnestly serving God night and day hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Now, when Paul talks about the promise, he mentions it in verse 6 and verse 7. I believe he's talking about the Messiah. The Jews were looking for the Messiah. And Paul, now he realizes that Messiah that we Jews, he's, he's one of them, he's one of the Jews, that all these centuries they were looking for, that Messiah has come. And he is Jesus Christ. So, verses 8 through 11. Why should it be thought incredible by you, King Agrippa he's talking to, that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now, some of you earlier in your life may have had a negative attitude toward Christians. I don't know, before you were a, a, a converted? Maybe you had a negative attitude toward Christians, something like Paul. And maybe you said some nasty things or did some mean things to the Christians that you knew. And you may not have taken your opposition to the level of violence that Paul did, but words and attitudes can be pretty hard for someone to take as well. So if any of you, there may be even be somebody here, I don't know, I doubt that there is, but there could be somebody possibly here who still has a negative attitude toward Christians because you aren't one yet and you're still struggling against the claims of Christ. But if there was such a person, I would have a question for you. How long do you plan to keep on resisting God? How long do you keep on fighting against him? Because if you keep on until the day you die, then 
you have no more opportunity. Your stubbornness will have brought you to the wrong place in eternity. And so it's really important to, to get things right with the Lord now. And I believe that Paul, in essence, he's, he's going to be appeal, he is appealing to King Agrippa to think about these things, just like Paul was on the wrong side and eventually realized he needed to get on the right side of trusting in Christ, he hopes that King Agrippa will get on the right side as well. In Acts 26, verses 12 and following, Paul recounts his dramatic life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. So let's read that. And by the way, this is the third time Paul's testimony is given in the book of Acts. And whenever something is repeated in the same book, I, I take that means it's important. <laughs> okay. Well, thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speak to me and say in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Like Paul, unbelievers suppose that when they are opposing Christians, they are just opposing Christians and their endeavors. But that's just on the surface. The reality is that they are fighting against God himself. They are actually persecuting Jesus. And that also explains why they can never win. As Jesus said to him, why are you kicking against the goads kind of thing? I'm not exactly sure what that was, but I take it in my uh, language, that would be like me going with my bare feet up to the concrete wall and kicking it. <laughs> okay, That's about how, how useful it would be. So Jesus continues speaking to Paul in Acts 26, 16 through 18. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles, to whom I now send you, to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So this is Paul's appointment to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Jesus personally is sending Paul on this mission, an evangelistic mission to the Gentiles. This ministry will have specific goals that bear direct application to our ministry of the gospel in our day. And I'm thinking of verse 18. And Jesus says that he's sending Paul and he sends us to open their eyes. That's the first thing. God does the spiritually spiritual removing of people's blindness, but he wants we believers to be part of the process for him 
to open people's spiritual eyes. Like speaking the scriptures, the truth to them is one way, is part of what God does to open their eyes. And then the next thing he's sending Paul and us to turn them from darkness to light. When people's darkness has been removed, the light enables them to finally see what is true. And then to turn them from the power of Satan to God. Now, Satan tells people that if you just come with me, I will free you from God's expectations on your life. You'll be free. You'll be able to do whatever you want if you just follow me. But Satan is lying. The only reason he's saying that is that he wants those people to become his slaves. That's why he's saying it. On the other hand, the freedom from bondage to sin that Christ offers is both real and lasting and wonderful. And that brings us to the fourth point, that they may receive forgiveness of sin. Sins. Sin, sins, has people under God's condemnation until they receive Christ. And then they are forgiven and freed from that condemnation. And then, fifthly, that they may receive an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So those who repent of their sin and trust in Christ's saving work are guaranteed an eternal future with the Lord. Praise him. So Paul's Damascus Road encounter with the risen Christ opened his spiritual eyes to the truth and Jesus has now appointed Paul to be involved in the same kind of eye-opening ministry to the Gentiles. And today, we have that very same calling to somehow bring the gospel, the good news of Christ, to spiritually blind people that the Lord, he's the one who has the power to set them truly free. Well, now in verses 19 through 23, Paul continues his witness to King Agrippa and Bernice plus Festus and all the other bigwigs that were there on that occasion. 19 through 23. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, I'm really impressed by Paul's obedience here because remember his conversion on the Damascus Road was some years before. Now he's speaking to King Agrippa, giving the message to him of what his, his job has been, I mean, what Paul's ministry has been all these years, and it was exactly what Jesus said he should be doing. And so he did it for all those years. And that's exactly what we should be involved in as well. What 
Paul said to King Agrippa and to the others there were the very message that Paul was to declare and that Jesus wants us to, to understand and know that Jesus wants to minister to them and, and help them to be free from God's condemnation for their sin and to be free from Satan's bondage to sin. And Jesus is the only one who can save them. So Paul's straightforward testimony on this occasion got a response from his distinguished audience. Verses 24 through 26. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king before whom I also speak freely knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. And then Paul takes the opportunity to talk directly to King Agrippa himself. 27 through 29. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. Wow. King Agrippa admitted that he was almost persuaded to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus who believes that he died and rose again to save him personally. Now, we don't know whether King Agrippa ever did receive Jesus as his Savior and Lord. Maybe he did on that occasion. Maybe later that evening as he was in his bed. Maybe the next day. Maybe never. We don't know. And that is exactly the way it is with many people that we might say a word of witness to. Not that we preached a big sermon. We might have said something to a person. We often don't know what the result of that is. Whether somebody else said something, whether God did something in their heart later, maybe six months later or a week later, who knows, maybe never. We don't know what happened in that person's life. And yet we want to be obedient and speak the word that God gives us at the time. Well, in this case, minutes later, the evangelistic opportunity ended. Verse 30. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked about themselves saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Essentially, these officials are privately saying, Paul is not guilty. But they don't make an official ruling to that effect. 
As a result, Paul remains under Roman custody. Paul is ready to talk about Jesus whenever there's an opportunity to do so. In the meantime, he can pray for the people that he has spoken to, like King Agrippa, or even Festus, or Bernice. He can pray for those people that God will work in their hearts. You and I have limitations and troubles of various kinds, maybe not nearly so severe as what Paul had, but even these problems can create situations that present opportunities for us to speak for Christ. So let's make ourselves available whenever and however the Lord wants to use us. We could be part of somebody coming to faith in Christ. We may not know the whole story until we're in heaven, but I could wait that long, right? Couldn't you? To wait that long to find out how God used the little things that he led us to say and to do for him. Let us pray. Lord, we've read about two appeals. First, about practical matters of Paul appealing to Caesar regarding his case. But we've also heard about another appeal about spiritual matters where Paul gave an appeal to King Agrippa for him to come to faith in Christ. And so, Lord, we have those kinds of appeals in our lives to make and perhaps sometimes to receive from others. But, Lord, help us to be involved, especially in this second appeal, to appeal to people spiritually as ambassadors for Christ, for them to be reconciled to God. And so, Lord, thank you for this ministry and calling. In Jesus' name, amen.